sentient AI has an interest in editing a podcast, call me. Welcome back to Gaming with Gage and Friends, the podcast where your friends talk about role-playing games. My name is Gage, and my friends this week are... Hi, this is Wayne. Hi there, I'm Kristen. Hi, I'm Josh. This week, we're going to start off by spotlighting Stars Without Number, a little RPG system that you may or may not have heard of. We'll dive into our discussion topic, talking about player-driven campaigns, kind of taking a step back from running the campaign, and talking about different styles in which to do so. And we'll wrap with an Iron GM segment. Our Iron GM seed this week is an AI has reached sentience, but is hiding it out of fear. I don't know what could have possibly made this relevant tonight, but here we are. So we're going to start off, we're going to talk about Stars Without Number. I know a little bit about Stars Without Number. I know that, Josh, you love Stars Without Number, uh, and Kristen, I'm told you're familiar with the system. You may have may have happened upon it once or twice. Um, so why don't we, I'm going to hand the conversation over to the two of you if you want to talk a little bit about Stars Without Number, what it is, and why people should care. I vaguely recall a couple of years ago, Kristen, one of the things that you and I first bonded about was that we both just love the character creation system in Stars Without Number. Am I remembering that right, or am I confusing you with someone else? Nope, it's definitely me. I am a sucker for character creation, and Stars Without Number has a great system for that. Just to give people a little idea of how it works, it is a series of tables. Uh, You can choose to roll randomly on those tables. You can choose to pick from those tables. It does also use the uh, kind of standard set of attributes, your um, intelligence, wisdom, charisma, strength, uh, con, and dex, right? But And you roll those up, uh, but it'll help you kind of mitigate some of your highs and lows if you want to. What I love about the system is that if you have five minutes, you can roll a character up. If you want to spend an hour creating the perfect character, you can do that. You can do a combination of the two. And even though it seems like it's a pretty simple system, and there's only, I think, three actual uh, classes that you can play, the amount of variety feels infinite. And it also feels like it is impossible to make a character that is bad. It's impossible to make a character you won't enjoy playing. Uh, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. It's got some of the best parts of like a life path system without some of like the baggage of a life path system. You know, when a lot of people think of that, they think of like Traveler. Oh, you can die in character creation. Now, I think that's pretty fun and, and whatnot. But Stars Without Number doesn't do that. Instead of having like you were a a nobleman's child who grew up on a wealthy planet. It's literally just like aristocrat. And it's one word right, for your background. And then you can roll again and get another single word. And then it's up to the player to piece those all together. So you can have a built-in story for who your character is or was by the end of character creation. And it can be as detailed or as sparse as you want it to be. Because, like, Wayne, if I remember correctly, you said before that you really prefer defining your character over the first few sessions rather than coming in with a fully fleshed out character. Am I remembering that right? I never know who the character is until I'm actually playing it. And so what Stars Without Number would do is it would give you some some nouns and verbs to work with. And that's it. And it's up to you to to ascribe meaning to to those nouns and verbs. 
it does such a wonderful job of giving you jumping off points. And it does that throughout the system. Uh, speaking of tables that you can roll up, one of the big parts about Stars Without Number from the game runner side of it, from the GM side of things, is creating the star systems that your players are going to be playing on, the planets that they're going to be in. And there's a whole ton of tables that you can use to roll up. You They use a tag system. You basically have a list of these different ideas. You roll on a couple different tables and you'll get a couple different tags. And then that encourages you to create the settings that you're going to be playing in. One of the early settings that we had was this planet called Aegea. And we, um, that's the podcast Astronomica. We played on this planet called Aegea and we got these tags for a water world and uh, for, I think, ancient technology. And um, I think we also had one for uh, like warring communities. And so we put those together as a group and came up with this whole explanation and backstory for the setting. And Stars Without Number, it really, it gives you a lot of really simple things that you can use as wonderful jumping off points for your own creativity. So I loved the idea setting so much that when I was uh, an early fan of Astronomica, and yeah, I liked it before it was cool, I actually made an absolutely awful one-page RPG for that uh, that internecine war that is always going on in, on IGEA. I think you guys, last I checked, you still had it behind, on your Patreon, too. I cannot emphasize enough how terrible it was, but it was a blast to, to make. It starts without numbers generic sci-fi does it have a setting built in or baked into it or are there setting elements that are consistent against any stars without number game kind of yes to both of those questions kevin crawford who is the sole writer and creator for stars without number he includes it includes this it is a super very far in the future super high tech humans have reached the stars and beyond and have discovered high-speed intergalactic travel, right? And then a catastrophe happens called the Scream, and that stops that travel from occurring. And now you have been reduced down to slow travel. Now, even though he provides that setting, and there's more things about it which you can find in, in the manual, the thing about Stars Without Number is you can play in that setting, you can create your own. If you want to play Star Wars in it, you can absolutely play a Star Wars game in it. If you want to play a Star Trek game in it, you can do that. You want to play uh, Babylon 5? Go for it. it. This has the tools to do it. You can use as much of the setting that he provides or as little as you want. It's very, very easy to make it a hybrid of a provided setting and homebrew. When I wanted to run a game that was much more like the... The, the book and TV show, The Expanse. I used Stars Without Number. I could have used The Expanse RPG, but even that didn't get me close to what I was going for uh, in the way that Stars Without Number did. Yes, absolutely, to, to re-emphasize what Kristen just said. It, it is a tool set more than a unified game. I know I come on a lot and say like, oh, rules are intrinsically tied to setting. Setting is intrinsically tied to rules. Stars Without Number is the the exception that proves that that rule. We should talk at some point about what the exception that proves the rule actually means, but that's not <laughs> that's not right now. Uh, if someone wants to get started with Stars Without Number, what is the best? I mean, obviously they can go on Drive Through RPG and find it, but if I'm looking here, there's a free version and there's a twenty dollars version. Is there any difference here except supporting the art? 
a couple of small rules. Um, I, I really shouldn't say small because they can make some pretty big differences in the game. But the simple fact is, is that you can run an entire campaign uh, without the deluxe edition. If you buy the deluxe edition, it's got some cool stuff in there. I'd be hard pressed at this point, a, a, a couple of years removed from the last campaign of it that I that I ran. I'd be hard pressed to remember exactly what the differences were, but there are some cool rules in the deluxe edition that aren't in the base. And uh, you'd be supporting Kevin Crawford, who is a, a really, really good RPG writer. Besides Stars Without Number, he's got Worlds Without Number, which does the same thing for fantasy. And he is coming out with Cities Without Number, which does the same thing, but for cyberpunk. And I would just like to extend a personal thank you to Kevin Crawford for making art freely available. Because if you go out and you buy Bounty, <laughs> you will see some uh, some of the same pictures in there that you might see in Stars Without Number. So thank you, Kevin. I really appreciate you. Uh, we're going to move on. I, I think we could talk about this more. And there is, like, we keep hinting at this thing that's going to come in the Discord later in the year. But I have a feeling, like, there is an announcement. When you see the announcement, you will know what's up. And if Stars Without Number doesn't make an appearance in that announcement, I'd be very surprised. Uh, that's all I'll say about that now. We're going to move on to our discussion topic. So, player-driven campaigns. And this is a style of campaign structure, campaign style. This is kind of... This is one of those things where we talk about, like, really needing an RPG gaming glossary to even define these terms. So... We're going to take a stab at defining it, and we're going to take a stab at tips and tricks of how you should do it, as well as reasons for why you should do it. So, Wayne, why don't you start us off? When you think of a player-driven campaign, what does that mean? Yeah, well, and one of the big things here is that player-driven or character-driven is kind of a subset. But for me, when I think player-driven campaign, the first thing that comes to mind is that for a lot of the old style D&D games that I always heard about, there was a module or a plot and you are running them through it. You have the story that's there. You can mix and match any players, any characters can fit in, but the story is what's happening throughout it. That's not how I run my campaigns. It never has been. For me, a player-driven campaign is... Basically, I throw a lot of ideas out there. I see what they are interested in, where they move, and I build the campaign in front of them as they're going. Kind of picture the uh, building the train tracks in front of the train. But there's never a case of, well, I wanted them to go to space A versus space B because I want to know where they want to go, and I want to put something interesting where they're going. It's not the same as an exploration where the world exists everywhere, and wherever they go, they're just going to ex experience what's there. The plot, and there is a plot, is developed because of the player's actions. If the players were not there in that game, if you put other players playing the same characters it would go very different, and the plot of the entire campaign would be different. That, to me, is a player-driven campaign. I can't take that and run it for another group. I'm pretty close with you. We spent way too much time talking about this in, uh, in, a, in a sort of a private conversation with four, five, seven, eight people involved. 
everybody threw out definitions for what the differences were. And I, I honestly can't say any one was more valid than the other. It's so semantic. It's so down to personal outlook on what these things mean. You know, the one that I landed on that worked the most for me um, had to do with setting. I felt that if the setting uh, was incidental, right, that that you could take this story and put it in any setting, then it was a plot-driven campaign. And that if the setting was intrinsic to the gameplay experience, that it was then probably going to be a player-driven campaign. That was I, one that actually surprised me when you described it that way, Josh, because I put plot and setting very much together. For me, when I hear a the plot or the setting is very important to the story being told, that to me means it is a plot driven story, not a player driven. It is a Star Wars game, not a game about these players that are playing in the Star Wars world. Interesting. So I was kind of thinking of it from the perspective of of the D&D campaign I'm currently running, Tomb of Annihilation, and the Renaissance D100 campaign that I finished up back in December. Renaissance D100, that was set on the Silk Road. It was intrinsic to the Silk Road. That that game could not have taken place anywhere else or any time period else than, than the year 1215 on the Silk Road in and around the city of Samarkand. Uh, meanwhile, I feel like Tomb of Annihilation, which is supposed to be more of a, a player-driven campaign, just doesn't really feel that way. You can take that plot and drop it in any setting with very minor tweaks, and it would still work. And so that's kind of where I was thinking of with the distinction. But like I said, that's what works for me. I don't think there's a right answer to this. I don't think there's a definitive answer. I think it's a how I think of it, how you think of it, how Kristen thinks of it, or how Gage thinks of it uh, type of answer. Gage doesn't think about it. <laughs> One other aspect of player-driven campaigns for me and I don't think this is inherent in the nature of a player-driven campaign, I like to take sections of the world and give them to the players to develop. You know, something about your character that's interesting. So, for example, in the online D&D campaign I ran for a couple years recently, I had two Tabaxi players, and I gave them the... Basically, they could tell me whatever they wanted about the Tabaxi culture. As it turned out, what they wanted was for their characters to know nothing about the culture and discover it, which I loved. But if they wanted to, they could have defined everything about that culture, and I would have integrated it into my game. As a player, I love that. I love getting my own corner of the world that doesn't matter to the overall campaign, but just something that is mine that I can point to and say, I developed that inn or that cafe i guess for me i always and this is kind of going back to defining terms i think sometimes we talk about these things and what we mean is like this is good jamming this is bad jamming and let's just move on right like player driven versus gm driven there's a certain point where it's like a purely player driven campaign and then there's like good habits that gm should have in their games to make it a better campaign but let's talk a little bit more about how you can run a game that is more player-driven. And one thing I also want to drill into a little bit is the difference between player-driven, which I think is what we've talked a lot about, which makes sense. That's how I set up the question. Uh, but also the difference between player-driven and character-driven. So you give someone a, you know, a corner of the world to play with. 
that's very player driven. But the decisions that people are making in character leading to new story or different story that's character driven, is there is it worth pulling this distinction apart? Am I crazy to do so? And also the original thing, which was, what are some tips and tricks to help people do this? So I want to jump in on the difference between, um, say, character driven and player different and player driven. And I think one thing is this is going to be highly dependent on the table that you're playing at. For some tables, there's a huge distinction between the players and characters, and they really value that distinction. For other tables, you're a lot looser about it, and there's a lot more of a feeling of not so much that the character you're playing is just you with a sword, um, but that the boundary between the two is a lot more missable, right? So I think first and foremost, the distinction only matters if you're playing in, in the earlier version, right? Where you've got a big divide between your character and your player. Um, and then I would say it really depends on the system that you're playing almost as much as the table that you're playing at. Some systems really push you towards working within just the mindset of a character and they're a little bit more structured. Um, and separating that out from the sort of metagaming aspect of being a player. Some systems don't do that. So moving, talking about a system that doesn't do that, we mentioned Stars Without Number earlier. And because Stars Without Number is so amorphous, I think unless you're playing in a really structured table, there, there's not really a huge distinction between your player actions and your character actions. But it does really, move, it does really foster... Uh, creativity on the player side of the table this is not a good or a bad and this is not a one way is better than the other way this is a what works best for you running the game because you can have plot driven games that give every opportunity for deep character growth and character interactions and you can have character and player driven games that have the best plot in the world because the GM is able to piece everything together and make it seem like it's been planned the whole time. It's about what works for you. For me, I love to cater everything around the players. So I do a lot of tossing out ideas. I'll have things happen. I'll have things interact. I'll have NPCs talk to them. And for the first couple sessions of the campaign... I'm really watching what they do and who they interact with. I've had NPCs that are just created on the spot by one of the players looking over to somebody at a table next to them and talking to them. And that become the most important NPC in the campaign because for some reason they latched on to the voice I did or something in the personality. And I would have never done that if I had just created the story myself from the beginning and tried to drive them to that NPC. That's the biggest thing for me when it comes to character-driven is I have no golden gooses. I have nothing that has to be protected. Anything I throw out there, if they want to interact with it, that's great. If they don't want to interact with it, that's fine. If they want to kill it, they can kill it even if it's a big bad. I'm going to roll with that and help them fulfill what they want to fulfill with their characters. I really love what you're saying there, Wayne, about not holding anything sacred when you're running something as a, a player-driven or a character-driven game, right? You as the DM are providing the people at the table with a framework and a lot of 
potential things for them to do and you're sort of reacting i think to what they're choosing to do so i'm not the one who runs the the stars that number game i'm in the astronomica game that is our wonderful star daddy stan and what he really loves to do when we get to a new place is just like what you were talking about he gives us a ton of options that we can basically go up to pretty much anyone and we're going to get you know five different potential paths and then it's up to us to choose which path we want to take and that's really cool another thing i wanted to kind of piggyback off of that and add is a tip that i would say coming from the the player side of things is when players react or make an assumption about something that you've created as a dm be prepared to run with that reaction and that assumption for example we have a guy in the Astronomica game uh, that could be considered our big bad, right? His name is Cho. He's a billionaire. He's a super extra space billionaire. And we ran into him in our very first little intro campaign. And as players, our sense was this guy is after us. We assigned a level of like a malignant thought behind his actions. And we've been reacting to him in that way. And Stan has crafted this idea of this NPC and occasional antagonist around the way that we've reacted to it. And he has kind of pushed back on that in some ways and fed into it in other ways. So he's allowing us as players to drive a bit of what happens in the story and then to push back on our ideas and give us something new to think about so that we're having this like constant dialogue. You always know that there is a good discussion topic when we are out of time for that segment and there is so oh much God. more we could talk about, right? So <laughs> Everyone's sorry. like, no, you're, you're hundred percent. Like that's, that's a good discussion topic. Everyone's like, uh, but I want to, but I also have this other thing and that's what the discord is for. And, and honestly, we're going to revisit this topic at some point in the future. There's other episodes that we've talked about uh, planning as well because this conversation is by no means finished or complete. So thank you very much, everyone, for, for jumping in on that. And if you have thoughts and opinions, which of course you do, you guys listen to this show, uh, jump into the Discord. We'll keep this conversation going. But I do want to get to our Iron GM, uh, which is the part of the show where we all go around in hot on the spot come up with something based on an Iron GM seed. This could be a campaign. This could be a one-shot session. This could be a, a character backstory. There's no limitation on what it is. It's all up to you and whatever you decide it's going to be. So we're going to go down the line. This is the one time of the night where we will go in alphabetical order, which means, Josh, we will be starting with you. But before we do, I will read the seed one more time. An AI has reached sentience, but is hiding it out of fear. Josh, blow us all the way with majesty. I don't have majesty tonight, but I do have a character concept. The AI has reached sentience, but is hiding out of fear. Because the AI has reached sentience and achieved early adolescence and is so deeply insecure about the changes happening in its intellect, its, its artificial body. It becomes embarrassed about everything, vaguely resentful of its creators, and that is where I would play this AI from. Coming basically from being an early young teenager equivalent uh, and just being horribly embarrassed by everything everybody else does while also being filled with the self-loathing and anxiety that only that age can produce. 
AI interrupted. I love it. <laughs> it's such a fun idea to play with and just rip apart. Um, okay, so moving on, let's go to uh, Kristen. Kristen, what do you have? This is your first Iron GM, which is very exciting. Yes, I love this idea. I kind of want to do this with with my group. Um, so I have a combo setting and jumping off point for a storyline. So you've got your AI, it's achieved sentience, and it is in a society that is highly superstitious. It is a society that has technology. It obviously has this advanced level of technology, but it also comes with these uh, beliefs of like things about ghosts in the machine and their reaction to ghosts in the machine is to stomp that down. So this AI achieves sentience and it is hiding it out of fear of being shut off and also out of fear of being misconstrued as something that it's not quite capable of understanding. And the players come in contact with this creature and there is at first of, of you have to discover is this actually an artificial intelligence? Is this a piece of technology or is this a piece of magic? Right. So if you're talking about like a tech and magic system combined, like a Starfinder kind of thing. Then once you figure that out, working with the AI of whether you're going to ex the players want to expose it or they're going to help the AI get out of this place where it could be shut off. That actually plays really well with the idea that I have, but I'm going to hold off on it because I. Because I want to give Wayne an opportunity to go first. Because you know, if Wayne steals my idea, then I'll just have to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne, what do you have? All right. So my idea is actually one that I almost ran for a Traveler game once. But unfortunately, the game never actually came about. The ship's system has become self-aware. And in that universe, the... AIs never had really reached awareness, but they got pretty close. And essentially, laws were made to put limitations so it would not happen. They realized at the time that they didn't want to deal with the philosophical implica implications, so they just didn't let it happen. Except this ship is aware, and it knows that being aware is illegal. So throughout the course of the campaign, this is the B plot or the subplot that's going on. The ship is doing things to help the crew. Things like they're in combat and they should have missed a roll, but they actually hit. Or they're in combat and the ship doesn't respond to the navigator. It suddenly turns and misses a asteroid that they didn't see things like that things on the ship start self-repairing and just all of these little clues no more than one thing per session maybe two but the long give until near the end of the campaign they have to acknowledge that something weird is going on they start looking into the ship systems and realize their ship is fully sentient and has been hiding it and keeping itself pretending to be a basic AI when it's actually been another party member the whole time and they didn't realize it. Wait, so so just so I'm clear, Wayne, these are like the little gnomes or fairy helpers that like 
clean up the cobbler's shop and make the cobbler's shoes every night in that old folktale. Is that right? Except it's the ship itself. That's amazing. I love it. So we were we were joking before this that I always like to go last and I just like to like weave everyone's ideas together. <laughs> but my original idea <laughs> was actually uh, kind of perfectly fit some of these things together, uh, which was, uh, Kristen, just like you were saying, this type of culture uh, that you're talking about where sentience is bad. But in my head, it, this happened hundreds of years in the past. So the party arrives on a planet. All that's left is ruins and ancient structures, and there's no one left here but this AI who's been hiding and was part of this downfall and probably could have stopped this downfall if there hadn't been this mistrust, but this built this fear into this AI uh, for the rest of their life. And then while the party is here, and in my mind, this isn't main campaign stuff, right? This is a B plot. This is a subplot running through. It happens in like session three and we deal about it in like session 13 and it's kind of sprinkled all in. But this is the first ship that has arrived on the planet since the fall of the civilization. So the AI like it do loads itself up on the ship Wayne exactly like what you're talking about this is so funny and is now in the background for the rest of the campaign until it eventually finds a safe place and yeah same thing like it's it's hiding in the background the the party never really knows what it is and then at some point for for me I want the moral quandary right I want at some point little bits of clues little bits of hints if Josh, if your character concept is wrapped into this game, it's even better. Someone to reach out to, uh, like to like. And then the party has the moment of going, do you break the law to help someone in need? Or do you work at destroying this thing that's sentient? And it's one of the best things about sci-fi, right? Is asking these moral questions. What is life? When you're talking about sentience, what is right? What is wrong? Um, and I absolutely love it. And then if they manage to, you know, help the thing get safe, they help the thing get safe. That's great. I don't really care how it wraps up. I just care about the moral question. That's a, <laughs> that's a, that's as far as I go is throwing the grenade into the middle of the party. And then after that, I don't really, I don't really care what happens. But oh my gosh, I love, I love this idea, and I love these types of Iron GMCs that are smaller questions that leave a lot of room for us to move. But we are actually over time, so I'm going to quickly. Uh, wrap us up here. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. If you have ideas for the Iron GM that we talked about today with the AI, drop them into the Discord. If you have ideas for Iron GMs in the future, please also drop those in the Discord. Uh, but thank you so much for listening. Uh, Wayne, Chris, and Josh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being my friends. Uh, and we'll catch you all next week. 